Welcome to the intersection of Black culture and horticulture with your girl, Cola B. Talking. And guess what, y'all? We black in the garden. You have arrived at the intersection of Black culture and horticulture with your girl, Cola B. Talking, hostess with the mostest of Black in the Garden. Previously on Black in the Garden. I just noticed those common weeds out there, and I knew as soon as I saw them that there was a lesson to be learned from them, which is nothing's stopping you. Don't let anything stop you. Come back and bring all your friends. <laughs> That's what weeds do. They come back. They are resilient. Nothing stops them. They thrive in any condition. Soil sisters, how y'all feel? Botanical brothers, planty peeps. Y'all all right? Welcome to Black in the Garden. I'm Cola B. Talking. Your hostess with the Moses. You know, I already said that, so I'm not going to be repeating myself over and over and over. I'm just glad you're here for episode three of, nope, it's episode four. Episode four. It's going so fast. Oh my gosh. Did y'all learn something from the last episode? Did you get to listen to the survival lessons that we got from five plants? Uh, I learned. You know what I mean? I, I learned. I also taught, but I still be learning. Sometimes I have to go back and just reference, you know, sometimes you really do need to remember the lessons that you learned along the way because you can forget. So we learned five lessons from five plants on the last episode and shout out to everybody who heard that. If you haven't, I ain't judging. You still got time. You still got time as long as your ears are working. And I appreciate you for lending me your ears as per usual, because those are some precious ears to be listening to this podcast, because you could have been listening to any podcast out here in the world, but you're listening to Black in the Garden, and I'm excited about that. So like I said, I'm cold to be talking. The last episode was a contemplative moment. I enjoyed it, and I'm I'm hoping that you did as well. And you know, we're moving right along. We are if you are still with me after the last episode then perhaps one of those lessons you applied maybe all of them lessons you applied because you sur- you survived i mean we're still living in the times that we're living in still strange still a pandemic still racial injustice what they still do that they still do that spoiler alert sorry to have to be the one to tell you but life is still happening injustices are happening our people are still being slain just unreasonably illogically it just it don't make no sense and the way my activism the way my activism i know how to say that word the way that it is set up i just noticed that there's been a lot of conversations about how do we solve the problem or how do we stop the problem and i'm totally i'm totally down for cooperating or participating rather in those conversations 
but I'm more of a strategy kind of girl. If I'm honest, I'm more of a strategy kind of girl as in how do we come up with a, a system, a systematic way to get answers, get solutions. It was said to me that we don't have a lot of time or we, we don't have really any time, but at the same time, that's the best. I mean, that's, that's a resource that is still available and it does take time to organize and strategize. And I'm just saying all this to say that the way my activism is set up is I don't like to do a lot of talking in the, this is a problem. I hate it. It sucks. Complaining kind of way. I like to save my energy for sitting down with a delegation or, you know, a group of very serious and like-minded individuals who are ready and willing to come up with some, some solutions. And I encourage us all to consider what that would look like, uh, consider how we can strategize and organize and start making differences in the spaces that we occupy. That's where I was trying to get. I was trying to get somewhere. Y'all, I just needed y'all to let me get there. And that's where I'm at. It's We hear this all the time, but it is absolutely, factually, actually. All right? It is absolutely true that the change that we wish to see in the world does have a lot to do with what we are doing on our local levels. What can we do? Let's just think about what can we do? I'm not saying that we can just start going out and planting gardens or becoming more healthy or organizing in our community and injustice and violence and discrimination and things like that will stop. No, that's that's naive. Gardens don't stop bullets. <laughs> they don't. As much as I wish that they would, we would be planting them all over the place but they don't. But strategy, we're going to get there. I'm just going to dial it back a little bit because I felt myself winding up. What I want to get across is that we have hope. We don't have anything else. We have hope. And if you can muster up a little bit of optimism and figure out a few things that you can do or at least one thing that you can do to have a positive impact in the world, then it's worth doing. And as far as the systems that oppress us, listen, I don't have all the answers. I wish that I did. I'm just over here encouraging us to over here, out here, whatever you want to call it. I am here to inform, inspire, educate, inform, educate, probably mean the same. But if I said it two different ways, then I must really mean it. (laughs) So, So just dialing back to our last episode where we discussed survival lessons that I wanted to share from my plants. Listen, it's hard out here. I think I say that about every episode. I mean, I was just talking about, well, I don't have to say it. We know what the experience is like for people of color in general, in the world, in America, 
it's not looking too great right now. <laughs> it's not looking too great. We we really do have to focus a lot of energy on survival. And so, you know, obviously with with the state of things and words that I would rather not say because you've heard them so many times. But with the current state of things, we are concerning ourselves more if we can. And I hope that I I just hope that we will take advantage of this extra time, take a few moments or even hours to really concentrate on what improving our mental health could look like. And we don't have to put a whole lot of pressure on ourselves by saying, I want to improve my mental health. But just considering just for a moment, what is the state of it? Am I okay? Are you all right? Is you okay? Answer me that. Pause this if you need to. Are you all right? You know what I mean? Like, I'm checking on you. I can't check on every single person. I barely can keep up with, listen, don't don't get me started. But listen, I'm checking on you. And that's what matters right now in this moment is that someone's checking. And I know it's it's a bit one-sided because I'm talking to you and you can't just be like, yeah, I'm, I'm good or whatever. Obviously we know this. But if that is, if what I just asked could be a catalyst for you to really do a bit of self-reflection and determine, am I all right? Like, am I really all right? Am I good, good? And, but if you're not though, like don't feel bad because that's another part of the same coin. Hey, it's all currency, right? Two sides of the same coin, right? So if you're not okay, that's okay. Sit with that. Figure out what it is that's making you uncomfortable. Is there something that you need to change? I just, listen, I just want everybody to win. That's really it. It's not about me trying to tell you how to woosah and what you need to be doing self-care wise because it looks different for everybody. But, you know, I just, I dropped some survival tips that I learned from my plants because they just be, they just be thriving in all the conditions. We look, we go outside and as long as nature is available and, and apparent to us, we see so many plants in so many different places in so many different ways surviving. So why not get a lesson from them? And I hope that you did. And I hope that you're ready for what we're about to get into on today's episode of Black in the Garden, season two, episode four with Nadia Ruffin, the urban farm sister. Listen, when I tell you intelligence, intellect, knowledge, book learning, book reading, teaching, just so much, there's a wealth, excuse me, a wealth of information. I bought her on specifically interested in having a conversation with a black entomologist and I got so much more and I am thrilled, very much excited. So I think we'll just go ahead and get to that. Let's just get to the interview. And we have some very exciting things coming up on Black in the Garden. Still figuring out what all that's going to be because still pandemics. Sorry, look, I'm trying to survive too, (laughs) y'all. But Black in the Garden will continue and I appreciate your ears. And I'm just going to take a quick little break. Bloop. And we will be back with Urban Farm Sister. (laughs) 
shout out to Coco and Seed for being such a dope affiliate as well as a supporter of Black in the Garden. So I just want to tell you a little bit more about Coco and Seed where when you want to when you get ready to go find them it's very important that you use the affiliate link that is in the show notes but the thing about coco and seed is that it is a dope black business and you can get things like home decor you can get um, mason jar hydroponic growing system that is super cute Uh, as far as growing systems go you can also get that microgreens planter that is kind of like a self-watering situation. There's these really cute Monstera mugs. I'm telling you, like everything is first and foremost, it's cute. It is, when it comes to the growing systems, your windowsill is all that you need. So support black business, support black in the garden and get you some dope things, some items, new things are coming out, all of that on that website, but you need to go through the affiliate link. That's all that I ask when you go visit Cocoa and Seed that you go through the Black in the Garden affiliate link. That is in the show notes. That is also in my link tree, L-I-N-K-T-R dot E-E forward slash Black in the Garden. Thanks for your support. Guess what, y'all? We about to get into this bug life, baby. That's why we have Nadia here. She's just a wealth of information, a wealth of knowledge. She's been reading all them books, y'all. All of them. All the ones that's sitting up on your shelf. She probably read them all. Maybe. I'm just playing. Maybe. I don't know. We'll have to ask her. But Nadia is known across the internet as the urban farm sister, and she, she is legit an urban farmer so don't get it twisted she's a scientist a mother a business owner and a really dope entomologist so i'm excited to have this conversation with you on today welcome nadia thank you thank you for having me on the show yes of course of course i am just brimming with questions about all of the things related uh hashtag bug life okay we're gonna go with that for now (laughs) (laughs) so okay i would like to get introduced to you because you need to know the woman behind the entomology you know you're more than just an entomologist of course you're a gardener as well um where where are you from i'm from cincinnati ohio um i was born and raised here in cincinnati ohio um but i've always had a I guess, a country perspective on how I want to live my life. Even though I'm born in the city, I've always just gravitated towards, you know, like nature and and farming and things like that, which is weird because none of my, like, immediate family members, they never really own farms or anything. My family, they own, like, a flower shop here, um, and that could be where it came from, but, you know, I have extended family that lives in the south and they farm and things like that so I just always I don't know I just always just gravitated towards you know nature animals especially insects and it's just it's just been me since I was a young age oh oh, I love that okay so that's why like take us back to young Nadia what was your first 
what were your first memories of being in nature and 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 being interested in bugs? Uh, it had to be around three or four years old. Um, I would go to my grandmother's house and my great grandmother's house, and um, we'd be sitting on her porch, and I would always see like these little red mites and things crawling on her steps, and like I was just intrigued with that, and. You know, I would go home and I would catch lightning bugs or, you know, whatever was out there, spiders and things. And when I would go back to my great grandmother's house, she would always have a jar of bugs for me. And I I was educating her at like four, telling her like, you can't mix spiders with ants because the spiders are going to eat the ants. Because, you know, I had watched these things do this at this very young age. And so she was like the one that really honed in on my love for insects. Like every time I come over there, she would have bugs for me. And then she would garden and I would go out with her and we would, you know, she would show me how to grow things. Like, uh, I think I was like her favorite grandchild because I was the only one really allowed in the kitchen with her. The other grandchildren, when they came over, they weren't allowed. Like she showed me how to cook. She showed me how to garden. She had a dog, and so we would go take the dog on walks, and she would take me over to her friend's house, and we'd be over there for a few hours. She lived right down the street, and, you know, mm-hmm. while sitting on the porch, I would still be collecting insects and stuff. And so she was the one that really, like, you know, was like, oh, this is this is interesting, and I, I'm, I'm going to, like, you know, support this. And like I said, she would have bugs for me all the time every time I went over there. <laughs> That's so that is dope. Like, you definitely, obviously, were her favorite. We'll just take that. Okay, I'm sorry to any of your your uh, relatives who might get offended by that if they're listening. You was the favorite. She let you in the kitchen. You went over to her homegirl's house, and you probably was listening to the gossip. So, yeah. And she had bugs for you, too, so she was nurturing that. That's, that is very, that is very beautiful. Do you remember having, like, a favorite type? of bug or like any specific species that was more fascinating than another one? Uh, I really like spiders, even though they're not insects. Um, I also like praying mantids and mm. I would like, I also like the uh, lightning bugs. Like I was just intrigued by that. And what, what, what was funny during that time frame, like probably about five or six, I would catch lightning bugs and I would have them in a jar and I'd be sitting there and I'd be staring at them for like hours after I called them until it was time for me to go to bed. But what I found out, there was a lightning bug that would actually eat other lightning bugs. And I kept telling people, I was like, these lightning bugs, they're eating, this one is eating all the other ones and no one believed me. And, you know, (laughs) I know we're going to talk about when I go to college and stuff, but going to college, I even brought that up to one of my professors and they were right. looking at me like I was crazy. So this was like in the early 2000s. And mm-hmm. I was like, is, is, I just went and asked one of the entomology professors. I was like, is there a, a lightning bug firefly that, you know, actually eats other ones? And they were looking at me like I was crazy. So this was right when the internet came out and I did a search. And it was like one other person that had made this article. At this time, the, the insect had not been named. So about Six years later, probably about 2006, I did another search because, you know, I caught some more and I'm like, this lightning bug is eating these other ones. And at that time, then it was a lot of articles because the Internet, had, you know, we got more popular and things. Oh. And then it was named. They had named it. It is. It's a female that she actually she what she does is she eats males of other species and she sequesters that bioluminescence so that she can, 
she can use that to attract the male so that she feeds on. But yeah, I found that out back in like 1984. <laughs> that is so dope. Wow, you literally, you were like, you discovered it. As far as I'm concerned, you discovered it. We are having a Black History moment right now. <laughs> what is the, can you tell us the name of that particular uh, firefly? Um, well, they call her the, oh, what do they call her? I can't think of her name right now. It's like Fora. Um, I have to look it up. I can look it up, and then I'll, I'll let you know. Because <laughs> unlike 1984, now we do have Aunt Google, so she can actually help us. Because like when you said that it was before the internet, or like right when the internet started, I cringed because I was like, "How are you supposed to get the answer?" Right, right. Nobody <laughs> <laughs> believed you. That is wild. That is wow. That is very wild. Um. So okay, I know where um we're getting into you mentioned college and everything but going back to um your introduction to gardening i understand that your great-grandmother would let you uh participate with her were you fascinated just as much by gardening as you were by bugs or was that just like something to expose you to more bugs i was fascinated about the gardening as well you know watching this stuff grow um and you know the bugs and the plants, they work hand in hand. So uh, yeah. having the plants out there attracted insects. So it was, you know, insects and other arthropods. So they, they worked hand in hand. So, you know, seeing the plants grow, but then also seeing how the insects interacted with the plants. Because, you know, there were some that were, you know, actually feeding on them. Some were that were um, pollinating. Others that were there just to feed on the other insects. And, and some of them just using them as a home. So it was it was, you know... It all worked together, so it was all interesting to me. It was all science. It was all nature, so I was just intrigued by it all. Absolutely. Wow. I'm just, I'm excited for you to be, because, like, for most of us listening, and myself included, I mean, obviously, I'm hosting, but you get what I'm saying. Yes. Um, there's a, a level of squeamishness around bugs and seeing them immediately, you're like, oh, no, I mean, the, the main bugs that we're pretty comfortable with are butterflies and um i guess ladybugs if we know that they're not there to hurt us right so um yeah that is that is one thing that 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 i think about as far as you know the comfort level with bugs so do you have on that note do you have advice for how we can uh get more comfortable with bugs like is that a thing is that possible yeah, that it is. It is hope. Um, you know, I I usually hold like classes, especially a few years ago. We had some cicadas come out. Um, some annuals. It it was actually a, a early brood. The, the the big brood is not supposed to come until next year, and mm. um, but they had some stragglers and they came out and people were you know flipping out, tripping and stuff. So I held a class and so I educated people on about you know what cicadas are. They're harmless. And I even had people in the class, I had caught some cicadas and brought them to the class. And I had people overcome their fears by holding them. I think the really? way the way you overcome the fear is you have to get educated. Um, a lot of people aren't educated on anything. They, they're just they're just responding and they're responding based off what they were taught. So if your mother was scared of spiders, nine times out of 10, you're going to be scared of spiders. So you're not going to even want to think like oh that's you know that's a living creature and you know it it 
it has a purpose. You're just your instant reaction is because what you were taught is go get a shoe and kill it. And so oh, <laughs> <laughs> So what it what I think showing the edu- educating people and then showing them, you know, see, I can hold this thing, it's not doing anything to me. Yes, they make noise, but this is this is how they communicate with one another. It's just like you talking to you, to uh, you know, a friend or whatever. They they communicate their their all way. You know those noises that the cicada makes. So, educating them about the cicadas, the life cycle that they don't bite, they don't even have biting mouth parts and things that made people mm-hmm. overcome their fears. And I just think, that, yeah. So they were actually. I had this one lady. She like was definitely terrified, and she ended up holding. And I have videos of this on my um, I think it's on my Facebook page, uh, where she actually held a cicada, and it was a male. So the males are the ones that make the noise, and he was making noise while she was holding it. And she had overcame that fear. And she reason that she came is that she said she didn't want to instill that fear in her son. And she noticed she noticed that, you know, he was becoming fearful of things because she was scared of things and said she didn't want her son to, you know, go through that as well because nobody had really educated her about, you know, cicadas and other things as well. So yeah. That's real. <laughs> I I appreciate what what just came up with that with what you shared that is the thing yes fear there's a lot of fears that are attached to bugs and um so getting the opportunity to educate and it sounds like you just were like i'm gonna take the initiative to educate oh yeah Um, so i ask you about your agri academy but i in my mind let in and just in case anybody is not entirely clear Tell us more about like what exactly is a cicada? Is that some type of grasshopper? Is that like the locust thing? I'm I'm trying to get a visual. Yes. So they call them locusts, but they're not locusts. So they that's what they call that's what they call them because they come out in large numbers. But locusts in actuality are actually grasshoppers. Um, Okay. So these are not grasshoppers. They are actually uh, in the actual order of insects that are called hemiptera which are true bugs. These are, these are, if you, if you're referring to a bug, these are ones that you would really call a bug. Like a lady beetle is not a bug. So in mm-hmm. this order are actual all true bugs. And what the, uh, the cicada falls under that order. So what they, what they all have in common is that they have piercing sucking mouth parts. So they suck sap out of plants. And there's some that are, uh, um, you know, vectors of disease like the kissing bugs and things like that they actually feed on blood um, but their mouth parts are all the same like they have this piercing kind of looks like a, a a long straw and they stick that down and say if they're feeding on a plant they'll suck out the you know the sap out of the plant and so yeah. cicadas have the same mouth part so they don't even have a chewing mouth part that could actually bite you um, oh. they don't have any you know defensive uh liquids that they excrete because there are some bugs like the stink bugs they'll they'll secrete that stinky smell that everybody you know the name that they've given because they they give off this odor when they feel threatened um Mm -hmm. but cicadas don't have any of that the only thing that they do is that the males make that really loud noise and that's to either that's either to attract mates or is to warn other cicadas that are in area by that particular um, that particular male is to warn them that there may be a bird or something present, and so they use that noise to 
and they have different calls to say like if it's a warning call versus a mating call and things like that. So, um, yeah. yeah, but they don't have any body mouth parts. So that was the first thing showing them that, that you know they don't have a mouth like say a ant would have. A, a ant can bite you, or you know they don't have fangs like a spider. Spiders can bite you. Um, they don't have any of that. And so then right. that that showing them the mouth parts and things that that gets over that first fear like oh it's gonna bite me. And then, you know, well, people are like, well, I don't like them on me because they, they, they're going to attack me. So, I, so you know, I would hold them and I'll see, like, they're not, they're, they're not trying to do anything. Nine times out of ten, they're trying to get away from you. They see you as a threat. Look how much bigger you are than this thing. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> That's true. So a lot of times they'll just fly away and say, I say, now, if there's big numbers of them, they're, they're not flying to attack you. They're not even thinking about you. Usually they're trying to find females and things. So they're flying around and you just happen to walk in the middle of them flying around and that may, that they may land on you then, but don't think right. that they're landing on you to attack you. And so it, it's just, you know, educating why the insect does what it does. And it, it's not about attacking humans. Humans got this, have this thing in their mind, like everything is out either for us or out to get us. And, yeah. you know, stuff it's doesn't, true. Stuff doesn't even work that way. You know, I have to educate all the time about, you know, even like bees. Like bees don't make honey for people. They make honey for bees. We steal it yeah. from them. <laughs> and Yeah, we stealing. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> you know, everything that they're doing in that hive, they're doing it for the survival of that colony. They're not doing it for people. But we have, you know, taken ourselves out of the circle of life and we put ourselves up on this pedestal and we think everything that on earth revolves around us and it's not the case and that's why we're having all these issues now because Ooh. we're operating outside of how things were supposed to operate <laughs> i like okay because i really did i wanted to ask you uh going back to the the fireflies because i came across an article recently that said that uh they are dying because there's so much artificial light and so i you know just mentioned that we're kind of messing things up well, not kind of. We're definitely tearing it up. But are you familiar with that concept of the fireflies so and the light? There's a few things that are causing their demise. The number one thing is that their habitats are being taken away. So they live in like wooded areas. Um, yeah. And they're not like a, another in, like other insects, you know, like if you cut down that wooded area, they're not going to go and find another wooded area like they you know, their, their generations have lived in that area. They don't go and try to find another place. Um, yeah. So they'll stay. So if you cut down that wooded area, you just wiped out that whole population of fireflies because, you know, they're not going to go and try to find another wooded area to go to. You just wiped them all out. Now, yes, the lighting does cause a problem because that's how they, that's how females attract males. They give off a light. So if you have all this artificial lighting, they're confused about what's female versus your porch light or something so that oh yeah so that does contribute that as well okay so because like I've, i have noticed recently in the past summer that there are less that i have been observing mm -hmm. so something as simple as not leaving your porch light on mm -hmm. could, could encourage more fireflies to come to around your house yes because they, they're, they're not confused by, you know, that light being given off. Um, so, yeah, cutting your light off, 
when it's not necessary, that's probably a good thing not having it on, you know, unless you unless somebody's coming over or something, you don't really need your light on outside. Um that's true. Um also the habitat, like I say, that's the biggest thing is that they don't go to a new place when that habitat is gone. Um also yeah. the use of pesticides, especially those that target beetles. They're nothing but beetles. So if you put something down that targets beetles, you're inadvertently killing them as well so be mindful of that too if you're putting out pesticides that target beetles or beetle larvae it could be affecting these particular insects as well you yeah <clears throat> you really are you saying the things this is going to be good but there's a lot of education here so that's why i'm glad that we we've already gonna do everybody calm down we're going to do segments Nadia is going to continuously educate us on how we can be more friendly to bugs because this is brilliant. I just, I'm thrilled. I cannot say that enough. <laughs> so now tell us about the Agri-Academy as you know, you are definitely a great position to educate. And so that, what is, what all does that entail? Cause I know it's more than just, well, no, I don't know. Is it more than just bugs? Like, what are we Oh yeah. Yeah. So Agri-Academy is a nonprofit that I started. Um, it has it has three different uh, branches to it. It has I do a lot of research, so not just on entomology, also on plant pathology and things like that. And so I'm getting more back into the research aspect of Agri-Academy where I'm trying to, you know, find different biological methods that can control, you know, insects on plants as well as improving plant genetics through, you know, like crossbreeding and not using GMOs, like genetically modified stuff. So creating yeah. hybrids is totally different than creating GMOs. And I try to educate people on that too. And that's a whole nother discussion that I'll actually be doing real soon with someone else. Um, but yeah. so Agri-Academy, it has a research branch. It has um, where I do outreach, where I actually go and I teach children about the agriculture industry, not just farming. There's so many different facets of agriculture that we don't understand. That's that's another thing. Educate, educating people about agriculture and that, you know, we live agriculture every day and don't even realize it. Like everything that we use has some type of agricultural component to it. Um, from your the gas in your car, you know, there's ethanol in there. The ethanol came from corn to the clothes we wear. If you're wearing yep. cotton, um, the food we eat, the, the the wood in the buildings that they construct. I mean, there's so many different things that agriculture is involved that we don't even realize. And so, yeah. so with Agri-Academy, I try to teach children and I try to push them towards the agriculture industry and show them that they don't just have to be farmers. Um, yeah. Because everybody, when I, the first thing I say, if they know what that word means, because a lot of people, especially people in the city and younger children, they don't, they've never even heard that word agriculture before. But if they heard it, the first thing that comes to mind is, oh, that's just you living on a farm with pigs and goats. And that's for white people. That's what they tell me. Oh, <laughs> that's so far to go. Wow. It's, it's entrepreneurship. I definitely want to throw that in there because yes. essentially everything it goes back to the, I, I like how you're making these connections and you're educating okay so continue because I know where this is going when <laughs> when we start talking about well that's, that's some stuff for white folks yeah there's a disconnect because this is not something that is new to us as 
as a people, as black people. Exactly. And so that's why mm-hmm. I try to educate the, the youth because, you know, a lot of adults, they're kind of set in their ways. What happens is when you're growing up, you know, when you're a teenager, you're pretty set on what you want to do. You'll go to college. Some people go to college. Some people don't, whatever. And by the time you're 30, your brain resets again. It's like, this isn't working for me. I got to find what my real purpose is. And so mm-hmm. I'm trying to show the youth now that these options are out here. So, you know, when I, when I go and do the outreach with the children, what I do is I, I'll do what are called agri-science workshops. So agri-science is the science applications in agriculture. So what I do, like an example, I taught some children about popcorn. So, you know, most people, they don't know where popcorn really comes from. They, they, they really don't have a clue. They just know they go to the store and they can either buy it in the microwave or they can buy the little kernels in the little container. They can pop it on the stove if they want to. They don't realize that that's corn. <laughs> it comes from the store, girl. It, I got it from the store. <laughs> exactly. That's, so that's all I hear all the time. I was like, yes, it comes from the store. But before it got to the store, do you know how it got to the store? So that's where we start. How did it get to the store? So when we talked about the popcorn, what I did is I brought in, you know, diff- there's different types of corn. Um, there's actually a specific corn that's used for popcorn, but then there's like field corn that they use for animals as well as, you know, making tortillas and all types of stuff. Then there's the sweet corn that we eat. Then they use another, the, the, like the Indian corn, that's, a, that's another type of field corn. It's called dent. Um, they use that for certain things as well. So show, letting them see the corn and then showing them how it actually grows, the plant itself, like the structures, you know, the stalk and the silks, how, how that corn is created. And each one of those corns is actually, if you want to get technical, it's a fruit. Um, it's a it's called a caryopis fruit, which means the 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 flesh and the seed are actually fused together. Um, mm-hmm. And so I educate them on that. And then, you know, even the whole popping the corn process is a scientific process. There's starch inside of there. And so when you apply that heat, that starch starts to boil. And what happens is it it gets hits the boiling point and then it explodes out of that seed. And mm-hmm. That's that's the white part. That white part is the starch that's in there, and it puffs up like that, and that's how you get the popcorn. So we go through this whole process like, okay, number one, you guys are eating corn. This is how this is made like that. And then I also talk about the economic aspect of it and how much money corn brings into this country each year. Ooh, and a lot. Yes. And, mm-hmm. and so I try to show them, too, like, you know, you guys can be corn farmers, especially here in Ohio. Ohio is a corn and soybean state. And yeah, so it's like, if you got, if you have access to, you know, land, you could be growing this corn um, and you could be making money. You could get a contract with, you know, uh, Exxon or one of these, these gas companies and you could be supplying the corn that they use or the soybeans that they use to make the ethanol. And so I try to just, you know, show them that, Agriculture is there in their life every day. Um, another thing we had talked about, uh, you know, I, I, I have a whole entomology segment, and you know, we talked about that, like how I helped them overcome fears and stuff. Um, but one thing I taught them about was silk. Like, you know, a lot of people wear silk, but they don't know where silk actually comes from. It comes from the, the cocoons of the silkworms, which are actual caterpillars or moths. Can I just say, because I I would like to sound smart. 
<laughs> different culture. I literally, I just learned about that from this channel on YouTube. There's this Chinese woman. Mm-hmm. Um, her channel is um, L I Z I Q I. Okay. I think and she, that woman, oh my God, I'm not going to get all up deep into what she does because her channel is brilliant. But I will say that she does have a a video where she was feeding the worms mm-hmm. and she made like a whole blanket, like literally from scratch. Just yes. blew my mind. Yes. And that that's where, where I learned from that video. Because if you just put Sarah Culture in um, YouTube, you can find her. So yes. just because I know a visual definitely helps when we're when we're talking like this with you know the audio component. So yes. yes. That's, I'm glad that you brought that up. Yeah, so br- talking about the silkworms, though, you know, a lot of them, either their parents or whoever wears silk garments, but they never really knew where that came from. They never knew the process. So I actually mm. brought in silkworms, the caterpillars. I brought in the cocoons. Um, so what happens is, you know, you have, I don't know if she showed on the video that she, you have to actually, once they turn into those cocoons, you have to boil them. Um, and you, mm. you kill the actual uh, developing moth inside of there. And what right. they do when you boil it, it loosens up those fibers and they're able to make those threads. And so we watched a video on that and I showed them how, you know, this is how this is made. So they make these threads and then take those threads and then they actually make um, fabric and then they take that fabric and they can make clothing. And so I had brought in all these silk clothing and I had cocoons. So they, they got to see and touch and feel and everything. So I, you know, People always ask me, like, with my agri-academy that don't live in Cincinnati, like, oh, I want to really do that at my school. And, you know, I can't go everywhere. Um, I can't be (laughs) in every state and things. And they're like, well, we want to do it. And I'm like, well, I could, could, you know, sell you the, the, um, you know, the curriculums and stuff that I used because I I created it all. But I'm like, you got to have that hands-on component. Because they're not going to learn. It's just going to be like them reading something and it's like, okay, this is boring. I think, you know, actually having a visual and actually letting them touch, if we're, if we're talking about food, actually letting them taste it and things like that, it triggers something in the brain like, oh, I can do this. And another thing I do with Agri Academy is I had the children wear lab coats. So I bought these lab coats. And so that, that even changes their mindset. The first time they put those lab coats on, they're like, oh, I'm a scientist. And they, they'll start strutting around and stuff. And they feel so confident. Um, yeah. and, <laughs> and so it's like it's creating that whatever we're talking about that day, whether it be I've, I've covered poultry science. I brought in chickens. They were they were poultry inspectors one week. They were egg inspectors another week. And, and so, you know, Put it in a mindset of there there are actual jobs and careers you can pursue and then letting them, you know, see the science behind it and then actually letting them touch it and learn. And then we have like a handout we have to do of the stuff that we learned for that day. So they they, they had to learn terms and may have to draw pictures and things like having all that together. It, it changed their like their outlook because a lot of them, hey, they, they, I mean, it, these are like from third up to sixth graders that I really focused on. Um, and a lot of them now, like, they want to be veterinarians. I had a vet come in, and they actually got to do a, a an exam on a dog, and they got to use a stethoscope. And the vet, she, wow. she actually taught them about the different things that she uses, like the, the syringes and the needles and all that when she does an exam. And so they actually got to do that. And um, I have video of that. So it, it was like 
So now, like, all the little girls, they either want to be entomologists, they want to be veterinarians. I have some kids that want to be food scientists now. And, I, and I'm thinking, like, if I would have never came in and did that, I would have never, they would have never known that stuff was even out there because, you know, they have things like 4-H, but 4-H is not really focusing on our people. It's um, not. It's oh not. God. It's not. And if they do wow. come in, they're not showing them. They 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 show the bare minimum, and I and I hate to say that. Like it's just it's just enough to fulfill whatever obligation they're supposed to fulfill. If it's if it's a grant and it says they have to you know reach 500 kids, it's just reaching the 500 kids. But my thing is when you get these grants and you're supposed to be you know carrying out a project that's supposed to be life changing, a lot of these people aren't doing that, and so you know. 4-H is good for them. It's not good for us because they're not going to show us the money aspect, um, you know, how how to even get started in this if they want to. Because a, a lot of the children, like, I'll tell them, like, well, you guys can grow this. Like, when we talked about sunflower seeds and we talked about sunflowers, I was like, you know, sunflowers grow in abundance here in Ohio. And all you need is this one little seed. You can plant this and this one seed will generate 500 seeds. And so... Yeah. <laughs> And so it's like, and I was like, you know, that could be a business. You could either grow sunflowers or you could take these seeds and, um, you know, bake them and all that and package them up and sell them. And then it was like, oh, I didn't even know I could do that. And so then it, 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 it triggers a whole bunch of different things. So I try to show them, like, you know, you don't have to go to school all the time. You don't have to go to get a college degree. There's other things you could be doing that you can be making an abundance of money right here yeah. in your own little backyard. <laughs> Since you are putting these children up on stage, and I literally almost cried a little bit when you said that little oh, telling you they want to be entomologists. Like, I'm literally, it's happening right now. <laughs> um, that is because setting the example, how I didn't, like, okay. So let me just ask you another question because I'm literally like, the tears are just welling up in my eyes. It's a huge deal to me because that is a big part of what this podcast is about. Mm -hmm. representation it matters so much and how many of us can even say that we know a black entomologist right period so like the work that you're doing is so valuable so I did want to ask um, because just the fact that I'm like tearing up I'm like I I would love to see this in every school or in every jurisdiction every city somehow what do you have any plans in mind for how you can expand the agri-academy Yes, I do. Um, so I was thinking about, you know, doing like an online type school or module where, you know, teachers can log in um, and they can access like different different exercises and things. And, you know, I'll, it'll, it could have a video of me explaining this stuff. And then, you know, they could do the hands on component for certain things like they can go to the store. Like if we were talking about the corn, they could go to the store and buy corn or they could go buy popcorn and show them how to pop it in class, you know, in a in a pot or like a skillet and, and no teaching them. Because that's another thing with the popcorn. Sorry on the tangent. But with the popcorn, the uh, the microwave popcorn, it's known to cause cancer and lung issues and stuff. And so. Um, there's chemicals in that bag and, you know, with the, with the the oil and things, they react together and they create these, you know, other chemicals that are not good for the body. And so yeah. showing the children how they could, you know, with their parents' help, they could, you know, actually pop popcorn on a skillet. And that's a lot healthier that way um, as far as, you know, like the, 
the chemicals and things. Uh, so going back to talking about the, the program, I was thinking about, you know, creating like modules where they could learn about maybe like the corn industry or like food science in general and then have these all these different other like exercises underneath food science and you know corn could be one um and then you know the, the teachers could go out and they could buy the supplies that they need and I try to keep it I try to keep it where it's affordable so that's when I'm even presented to the kids because a lot of these kids are in low-income homes and things and you know like mm -hmm. You can go to the Walmart, you can buy a bag of corn, uh, popcorn for like a dollar and, you know, the oil, you can use any type of oil to actually pop yeah. it. Um, and so I'm thinking about that. If not that, then maybe like, um, like a few days out of the week, I was actually talking about this with my friends, um, maybe a few days out of the week where I have like days where teachers can like, I wouldn't say contract with me, but like, you know, I could they could log on and I'd be like, like live in the classroom and, you know, I could be yeah. talking about something. And then the week prior, like I, I told her what she needed to either go purchase or, you know, I could have like kits available and I could send it to her. So that's another way. Um, so I don't know. It, it, it's still up in the air because I, I feel like that hands on component is what's what's needed. Um, and then even having the lab coats like them putting on those lab coats, I tell you, it really changed yes. something in their mind. Like they 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 turn into different students. Um, they do. They do. <laughs> it's serious. It's like I'm wearing a lab coat, girl. I'm a scientist yes. today. And that's what they'll tell me. I'm a scientist and I, and I call them my scientist assistants. And then some classes when I don't have enough lab coats, I'll only select like a few children um, mm -hmm. to be my assistants. And so they'd be fighting over it. And then, like, if I, as I go to this one school once a month, and um, they'll be like, "Y'all, you told me last time I could be your assistant." Like they, <laughs> they they're ready to fight. <laughs> yes, <laughs> but they, like I said, that that lab coat, just the lab. They don't even know what we're talking about at the beginning, because I'll just put the lab. They, it just totally changes their perspective. Like they want to learn now. Like it's like, yeah, I, I'm the I'm this scientist. Or I'm the, I'm this doctor today. Um, and. It, it, like I say it, it's just that's what's needed not just the yeah. lesson because I know I when I was in school a lot of times the classes I remember and the ones I really enjoyed were the ones where we actually did things like when we had lab and we actually could see what we were talking about in class that 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 made me understand it better you know I, a lot of times in the with the kids now all they're presented is with you know a handout and it's got a paragraph on there and that just bothers me. That's that's the reason why I even started this. It was, it, you know, it was my son's school that he doesn't attend anymore. There was a lot of issues going on there. But one of the things where they were not being taught science and what they were being taught was how science was taught is if they read something that seemed scientific in reading class or math class, that was the science grade for the day. And oh. that did not sit right with me because, you know, I'm a scientist and I'm like, that's not how you teach science. So if they read, say, say they read something about blue whales. Number one, we're in Ohio, so okay, we're never gonna see a blue whale. Not, <laughs> not, well, not in Ohio. Now, if we lived like you know, by a body of water and whales frequent that body of water, teaching about blue whales would be one thing. Like, yes, so I can go to the ocean, I can see a blue whale. So mm -hmm. it was things like, okay, I'm like, what? 
I know they need to learn about blue whales, but how's that the science grade for today? You didn't even do anything to apply that knowledge no. that they learned. I'm like, why? They treat science as if, as if it were an afterthought. Right. And it, it, it's to be the first thought. And, and it, yeah. you know, even I hate the way I hate the way they created STEM. And I'm going to I'm going to just harp on this for a minute. I don't like okay. I don't like the way they call it STEM and they separate everything out because everything works together. It's kind of like when I was talking about the insects and the plants and all. everything goes together. So I can't you can't teach biology without teaching chemistry and you can't teach chemistry without physics. It all works together. Mm. And but, you know, because STEM came along and it's a money maker they'll they'll break things up so i can't teach about you know even corn i can't teach about corn just as the science aspect i have to talk, teach about the technical aspect as well and you know the engineering you know the, there's things that they use to actually plant this corn to harvest it like and then yeah. the bath like you know there's there's math involved in that like when i'm measuring out how many seeds i need to plant per acre of land and things you can't you can't separate one. They all have to work together. And Absolutely. that's the mistake they're making with this with this STEM. And, you know, they're saying they're trying to bring science back into schools. Science is it's, it's never gone anywhere. It's just you guys are not integrating it into there. But to integrate it with stuff that they're not going to ever see, that doesn't make sense either. Like, don't have yeah. them read something. And you say, oh, that's a science grade for today, and then you never follow up anything. Why would if okay, we live in Ohio. Why why wouldn't you have a handout? If you want them to learn how to read, have a handout about some animal they may experience here in Ohio. Like we have deer, we have coyotes, we have, you know, raccoons, all types of wildlife out there. For sure. There's handouts that they could have read. Like they could have read one about the white tailed deer. And, you know, mm -hmm. That they see deer because deer are they run abundant around here now because they didn't have any predators for a while. Now we got coyotes that have moved back in. Um, mm. but they see a deer, <laughs> so you can, yeah, everybody that's pretty much deer are everywhere, right? And, and so you're you're stressing the you're emphasizing the fact that science needs to be taught with a tangible element if we are to expect the children to actually retain that information, exactly. And I and, mm -hmm. and I noticed that. I go to a lot of uh, mostly predominantly black schools and um, this is where pretty much all of them are the same as far as the science aspect. It's, it's, it's like it's, it's in your face like, oh, we don't really want them to know this. And if we do teach them anything, we're only going to teach them the bare minimum. So they're not really interested in this because they know that in reality, black people have always been scientific. We've always been scientific. I mean, I mean, <laughs> look at the goat, uh, George Washington Carver. Exactly. He was out there doing all the science exactly. and made significant contributions. And you know, and it, just going to your point, what he is most recognized for, kind of in a sterilized, even white whitewashed way, is yes. for peanut butter, which he did not even invent. Exactly. I get so mad when they say that. I go off. Like, oh, yeah, yeah, because you, you did have to tell somebody <laughs> or a few people about that. Yes. Because um, that man was brilliant. He, like like you said, he was he was brilliant in a, a whole bunch of different fields of science. It wasn't just even 
uh, you know, plant pathology. It was, mm-hmm. he was a chemist, like he was making chemi- chemicals from those plants. And it's, I mean, he, he covered so many different aspects for them to reduce him down to peanut butter. I'm like, you know, <laughs> but, but this is, this is, this is how our children are taught. And so if, if the parents don't know, they're just gonna go about what the school says, and so the school they're 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 reducing us down to like oh we're nothing. But then when you go and you look at all the inventions, we invented most of this stuff here in this country. <laughs> we did, yeah. I I cannot agree with you more. Um, wow. So with so with yes, go ahead. No, go ahead, go ahead. <laughs> so with the Agri Academy, that's what I try to do. I try to teach children about agriculture and you know the science in agriculture, and that science really isn't you know, it's not just physics, it's not just biology, it's not just chemistry, it all, it's all science, it all works together, and you can't have one without the other, um, and so I try to, you know, every time we have one of those sessions, I try to, you know, incorporate all of those things in there, so they'll, and then even, like, even when it comes to art, like, I used to try to exclude art, but I was like, I can't exclude that either, because all this, all this works together, like, you know, but that's what what they usually try to do with STEM is they just try to focus on the art part of it. And I don't, you can't just focus on that either. I mean, even like when we talked about, because I'll, I'll bring bees into the school. I have this observation hive and we'll talk, we'll learn about, I teach the kids about honeybees. And so they learn about how they, how and why they make honey, why they make wax. And so they get to see like one of the um, uh, honeycombs. Uh, I'll bring a honey, actual frame with honey in it, and I'll let them, like, stick their finger in there, and they can actually taste taste the honey, you know, and then I said, this is what honey looks like before they put in those cute little bear jars, and I said, it's a whole process, and they'll, they'll watch a video of this person extracting <laughs> the honey and stuff, and then yeah. I have another frame inside the observation hive that has, like, hundreds of bees on it. I don't ever bring the queen. She has to stay in the hive, but it'll have, mm-hmm. it'll be a frame that'll have, um, It'll have larvae, it'll have cat larvae, it'll have eggs, and of course there's workers in there, there's drones. They learn about the different types of bees in the hive. They learn about the different roles that the workers take on before they become foragers. Um, and so when I when I was trying to get to about the art, like even the 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 honeycomb and the, the and the wax that they use, the, the the bees create this hexagon, and there's a whole science behind why they create this hexagon shape, you know. Uh, sale, um, yeah. and so we have to explain that. But you know, I'll have them maybe might have them draw that, or might have them draw a bee and, and things like that. But you know, it's all works. Like I say, it all works together. And you know, a lot of things that we we use, like designs and things, they they took that from nature. They took that from you know, some insect may have created some certain type of uh, like the bees, their their honeycomb or a wasp. They create certain um shapes shapes and things and so you know patterns pattern yeah patterns and and colors and you know they you know they've been doing this and we just took what they did and we made it for ourselves (laughs) even i remember uh seeing something that was a very scientific thing but they were creating about maybe like some kind of sports equipment or something Mm -hmm. but they were studying a very particular type of bug. It might have even been like a spider web because I know that there's a lot of mimicry of spider webs and the way that it can stretch. And, yep. you know, it's yep. very, 
very sophisticated material that is created by this. And now I don't even know what to call it. Like I'm, I'm <laughs> call the spider a bug because I'm trying to be respectful. Because, like, <laughs> and I do want to ask you that. I want to ask you two questions to wrap it up. One is a fun one. That's the last. We'll save that one for last. But, um, bug versus insect. Okay. How do you stand on that? So I, I explained that a little bit. So when you're when you're talking about an actual bug, um, when we were talking about the uh, cicadas, they actually fall under. It's an order called Hemiptera. Those are true bugs. Now mm-hmm. anything else that's not a Hemipteran that doesn't fall under that that uh, order, you mm-hmm. shouldn't be calling them bugs. So ladybugs, they actually ladybugs actually fall under Coleoptera. They are actually beetles. So you technically should call them lady beetles, but you okay. know, you know how humans we created this yeah. this common well, name so, stuff. So <laughs> here's the thing about it though, and in our defense, us, us common people, because I know that you are definitely way up when it comes to the entomology, the science of it. Mm-hmm. We are out here calling everything that's crawling and flying yes. a bug. We just we don't know no better. We didn't read all them books, girl. <laughs> we did not read all them books. But that's good to know that basically there is a very specific scientific order where all these things that we think are bugs are really not bugs. Yeah. So so if it didn't if it didn't fall under that order, it's not technically it's not a bug. And you know spiders and ticks and centipedes and all that they're not even insects. So. <laughs> Wow. Yeah. They, they follow their own orders and, 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 and classes and all types of things. So, uh, yeah, I try to educate people on that, too. I'm like, because they'll tell me it's a bug. And I'm like, it's not. What what do you mean? It's a, what it, what does it look like? And then they'll start describing it. I'm like, no, that's a spider. Um, it has eight legs. It doesn't have six. Insects have six legs. So, yeah, mm. but it, it again, like from the beginning, it comes from education, and we, you know, not really taught anything. You just, if you, especially if you see a bug in your house or you know anything in your house, mm-hmm. the first instinct is just to get rid of it by any it, means necessary. <laughs> absolutely, go get the shoe. Where to raid at? <laughs> right. <laughs> and I don't advocate for for that because I, in particular, cannot stand the smell of that. Girl, we're not we're not about to get into that right now because like I said we're gonna definitely have you back on for many many future episodes if not all future episodes I'm still working out because you know the podcast is still in technically in its infancy okay so you know I am still developing and I realize there's a bit more that I could offer as far as educating and and just so much more so I'm very excited about what we're getting ready to do now, I do, this is my fun question that I'm going to wrap up with. Did you see A Bug's Life, the movie? Yes. And how did you experience that? Did you enjoy it? Or like, what was your experience of that, watching that? I liked it, but some of the, I kind of remember that movie, because I also saw, was it the B? Was that B movie oh, as well? Yeah. B movie. Yeah, so the B movie... <laughs> That one, I can't remember Buzz Life because I saw that so long ago. Um, But I I was bothered by it too because they were having certain insects be male that would normally be female. And same same thing with the bee movie. Like that bee that was the the main character, if he was a worker, he would have been a female. 
um <laughs> that's patriarchy though <laughs> yes so if if he was a worker because a drone the drones are the only males in the in the uh hive and they're only there to mate with the queen if some if mate with a new queen if the queen that's currently there passes away and the fee, the queen actually makes those drones and the workers can lay eggs too and make drones um hmm. But the drones do no work. Uh, they're they're taken care of hand and foot. And then in the, in the fall, what happens is the workers kick all the drones out and they end up dying um, because they they don't want to have to take care of them over the winter. Um, they're going to oh. use up the honey resources that are needed to keep the queen alive. And so they kick all the males out. And then in the spring, the female, uh, the queen, she'll lay more eggs and they'll create more drones just in case something happens to that queen. Uh, the new queen will have drones to mate with. Um, and they actually mate up in the air, like fifty feet up in the air, and that's a whole nother process. But we, we won't get to that. But yeah, seeing those movies and you know having a certain characters, like yeah, that that character would not have been a male; it would have been a female. And it was a it was a commercial with a mosquito on it, and um, it, it was a male mosquito. And male mosquitoes don't feed on blood. And I saw that commercial, and I, I started going off about that, like. They're, they're telling the wrong information. Females are the only ones that bite. The males only eat nectar. and <laughs> So, yeah, it bothers me. <laughs> wow. It's it's like you're, you're, you're bug woke. And every time you see something that's wrong, you're like, no, they try to miseducate the masses. Yes, yes. Wow. It's, you, listen, you about that bug life. I'm, I am here for it. I am so here for it. I already have been about to cry. Uh, just, I, I am so impressed by uh, everything that you have shared, and I think that it's hilarious that, because I, I wasn't really sure what to expect when I asked you about your experience <laughs> in those movies, but basically, it's safe to say that they were annoying, because you're like, that was so wrong, they could have <laughs> called me, and we could have been a lot more scientifically <laughs> factual, and at least we could have learned better, because what happens with those movies, and the way that they are presenting those um, creatures in that way is that it it is misleading and is miseducating because we could still be passively learning while being entertained. You see exactly. what I'm exactly. So, yeah, it's it's actually doing kids a disservice. And now I'm just like, dang, wow! I'll <laughs> just stick to entertainment because the stories were still fun and and cute. So yeah. um, we'll just we'll just leave it at that. But looking forward to. Um, having our we're gonna we're gonna call it the bug life segment um shout out to Tupac that I don't know if y'all caught <laughs> already but yeah um so Nadia tell us more about how we can find you and how we can get in in um in contact with the work that you do with the Agri Academy like if that's accessible to us at this point also if you're accepting donations for that that would be big if y'all could donate to the Agri Academy she need money to get this to the church. <laughs> yes, I do. Um, so if you want to get in contact with me, I have many social media accounts. Um, uh, but my most popular one is my urban farm sister on e uh, Instagram. And that's mm -hmm. uh, sister, S-I-S-T-A. Um, also, I have, you know, accounts for Agri-Academy as well as my uh, business, Kiwi Produce. Um they're also, but you can access those on my actual Urban Farm Sister. I also have a YouTube channel for Urban Farm Sister, and I, you know, I put videos on there. I still haven't figured out, like, what's going to be my focus on there, because there's so many things I can talk about. Yeah. Um, 
you know, I've talked about, you know, insects, but, I, you know, I have a science background, uh, research background, so I talk about a lot of things like disease prevention and things like that on there. So I haven't really found my niche of what I should focus on. Uh, probably why I don't have, you know, quite the following because people might think like she's just random all over the place, but it's not really all over the place. You have to see the connection between it all. Um, it's all but, connected. Truly. Yes. You just best to to educate on what you can, and I mean, how is it going to be possible for you to just teach all the things all at you, once? You can one at a time, <laughs> right? So, but that the YouTube is also Urban Farm Sister. Um, I'm on. I have a Twitter. I don't really. I don't do a lot of talking on Twitter. Most of my talking is either on Facebook, which is also Urban Farm Sister, or uh, Instagram. Because um, people are always asking me questions. They're sending me pictures of insects or plants that they don't know what they are. Mm. Or, you know, they're asking me questions about how to grow this particular thing. If they're having issues with growing things, I I, I walk them through that. Because we didn't even talk about that aspect of the stuff I do. Um, I, I know. Teach... <laughs> We're, I teach... We'll get there. <laughs> yes, yes. Um, and then if you want to donate to Agricademy, um the website is agricademy and that's a g r i c a d e m y inc dot o r g uh it's just like it's like academy but it's just agra academy um and you can donate on there um like i say um i'm actually in the process of setting up a lab as well a commercial lab under agra academy um well i'll be selling I'm trying to get into this hemp game. You know, that'd be another whole discussion. Yes, um, <laughs> um, but I'll be actually growing um, female hemp plants under that lab. Under that, like I told you, it does research, and then it will actually be selling uh, actual plants to farmers. Specifically, yeah. we want to focus on black farmers since they're the ones that's always, you know, suffering the most when it comes to all these new agricultural things. We got to talk often here about yeah. some things that I'm getting ready to do in that regard. But yes, okay. okay so we got we got all your handles. I believe so, and it, it like I say, you can re access the other ones from that main uh, urban farm sister one. So yeah, you can get to the other websites and stuff from there. That's it. Okay, cool. Well, I will definitely put everything that I have for you in the show description. Y'all make sure that you take a moment and uh, get into that. And Nadia, thank you so much for talking with me and educating us on today. And we'll be talking again soon. And I'm wanting to wish you love, light, and soil. Thank you. Thank you for having me on the show. If you learned as much as I learned from this episode with the Urban Farm Sister, then you most certainly learned quite a bit. And I am very thrilled to have her on future episodes, as many future episodes as we possibly can, because, you know, there's just so much science and there's so many bugs and critters and insects and arachnids or whatever they want to call themselves that, look, we're just going to have to have her come and talk to us about all of them, respectively, because we can and we need to know these things as individuals who are interested in plants and gardening we you're gonna come across some bugs that's just circle of life i don't know but i'm glad that you got to get enriched with me on today i appreciate you 
joining us for this episode four of the season two of Black in the Garden, the podcast featuring Cola B talking. That's me. That's tis I. And I appreciate you so much once again for lending me your ears. You know how you can follow me, right? On Instagram at Black in the Garden, on Twitter at Black in the Garden. There's a Facebook page called Black in the Garden. Big surprise, right? There's also a YouTube channel called Black in the Garden. Say it with me, y'all. You know I was going to say that. And supporting financially would be amazing. And, you know, it do feel a little bit odd. I'm not going to lie. It feels a little bit odd asking for support. But, I mean, we did say we was all in this together. And putting together podcasts is a thing that takes time and resources. So I would greatly appreciate you considering becoming a patron on today. That is patreon.com forward slash black in the garden. Shout out to our first patron. I see you. I got to give a very special shout out on the next episode because we need to celebrate that. But you know what all my handles are. You know how to find me on these internet streets. You can email me at black in the garden at gmail.com. You can find me. I'm, I'm, I'm out here. All right. And uh, make sure that you share, like, subscribe, click all the things, push all the buttons, thumbs up, you know, all that stuff that you can do to let me know that you are positively supporting Black in the Garden. This is very important what we're doing. You know that, right? We are representing for the, at the intersection of Black culture and horticulture. I don't have to keep explaining this to you over and over again. You know what time it is if you got this far. And if you did get this far, I can't say enough how you my favorite like don't tell nobody else I told you this but if you listen to the very end of the episode you the real MVP so shout out to you (laughs) thank you so much for riding with me on this episode here on today and you know I gotta wish you love light and soil peace